0: Hi, it's G3, and we are recording this episode of In Search of Green Marbles on Wednesday, September 21st, in the afternoon, after the Fed decision and after the Fed press conference. With me to talk about the Fed and where we go from here is Weiss's bond expert, Lundy Wright. Lundy has been watching and trading the bond markets for quite some time. And brings a ton of wisdom to the table. So please check important disclosures at the end of the episode and get ready for this one. And with that, welcome. Lundy, great to have you back. Now that the Fed has finally acted, let me just kick things off by asking you was there anything that happened today? Was there anything? That was said today in the Q&A. Was there anything at all that surprised you?
1: No, I don't think anything was really a surprise today. And that in and of itself may have been a surprise. The first words out of Powell's mouth were everything I said at Jackson Hole is what I still believe. And that's what I'm going to repeat today. Now, that wasn't the quote, but that was the message. He then went through Q&A and other statements that reinforced all of that, but he became, in that process, he reinforced the idea that in order to get rid of inflation, Americans will have to endure some pain. And while they are hopeful that doesn't happen, he is telling the nation that the likelihood is much higher. And in fact, he said the likelihood of lower stock prices higher unemployment, lower housing prices, that these are all likely possibilities, more likely possibilities in our future because they become a necessary byproduct to reducing inflation.
0: I feel like coming into today's meeting, many of the people who I had spoken to and heard from were saying and writing things along the lines of if the Fed Hikes by seventy-five basis points that could trigger a relief rally because we're not getting the one hundred that some had feared. What changed between when that seventy-five basis point hike was made and the press conference that ultimately led traders to say, "Oh, actually, this is not good news"?
1: A couple of things. I think you're spot on with that, and I think the initial reaction when you come in on expectations. And the long-term DOTS forecasts are basically where we were already priced for. Initially, people said, wow, they went 75. The projections are already where the market's effectively priced for. Not exactly, but effectively priced for. We've been sitting on cash so long. Let's put some money to work because now is our downside that they do another 25 Whereas the upside, if recession forces take over, then we would want to be invested because the Fed will tighten less. They might actually stimulate and all these types of thoughts go through people's heads. That was the initial reaction. Secondary reaction when he got into the Q&A is he started to say things that all of a sudden when you hear them said yet again – because he has said them effectively in the past, if not factually in the past. But when you see them yet, hear them said yet again, it's the wet blanket on the party. Because as he comes out and says, we're likely to have a housing correction, stocks wiped on that. They dropped right away on that. He said, we're likely to have higher unemployment. That got a lot of reactions. But we all anticipated that. Nobody's sure. Nobody really f- wants to believe The Fed will follow through on this, but his resolve seemed greater. In fact, the only statement he said today where I thought there was a hedging of his resolve was when he said, we're planning effectively on another 75 and 50 in the next two meetings before year end. He then said, you should know there are two groups. One of the groups wanted 50-50, only 100 by year end. And when that came out, immediately stuff started to rally. Because that was the signal that people who are looking to say, this is it, we're at the peak, we're at the end, we can see the end in sight. And after he kept speaking, that end in sight type of thought became less and less. In other words, there is more pain involved.
0: So I think if I could just summarize what you said there, it's Powell has said many of these things in the past, but he has often wound up undermining himself a bit in the press conference when he strikes a more equivocal tone. But this time, notwithstanding his revelation that there was, in fact, a split, Powell was much more assertive, much more hawkish throughout the press conference. And because the press conference is often the place where markets begin to rally, they didn't have anything this time that they could really work with.
1: Yes, Exactly. And it's in part that he has said the same message three times now because he said it at Jackson Hole. He said it at the Cato interview. And now he said this. It was the identical message so that the questions that come up might not be as cleverly designed to get him to say something that's a headline that would contradict something he said or battle with something he had said prior. And so there was a greater consistency, I would say.
0: Understood. Okay. Before we zoom out and just sort of talk about where we go from here, I did want to also ask you about QT, quantitative tightening. Anything there that you believe may have had anything to do with sort of the risk off day that we ultimately saw there?
1: No. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding with QT, and it's for a couple of technical reasons, and most of the reasons are pretty easy to explain. A lot of people have come out and said they're not running QT off. The balance sheet is not declining the way that it's been forecast to what is going on. And then they start to extrapolate from there, saying this is a signal that the Fed is not able to tighten the way they imagine or they don't want to or whatever. That's false. For Treasuries, QT is the runoff pace is in part misunderstood because of TIPS. The way that TIPS operate is that your inflation compensation increases the principal at the end. And so when that occurs, that is altering the accounting, the optical accounting for their runoff because it increased the principal, suddenly it looks like they're not running off tips. If you look at the weekly Fed reports, because of the payment schedules, during the month, it can look like, hey, the Fed's not running off at the pace they said they would. But by the end of the month, that catches up for regular treasuries. So the for treasuries, those two things cause some misunderstanding.
0: All those mort- conspiracy theories out there that are saying, ah, the runoff schedule is lagging behind, you're basically saying nonsense.
1: Absolutely nonsense. And where it really gets into it is in the mortgage market. In the mortgage market, mortgages settle forward. Mortgages are altered by their prepayments as they come out. And whether it's Freddie, Fannie, Ginny, whatever, they have – different timings as to when this information is available. And so the combination of what I just said means that they are running down their mortgages too, but because of prepayment speeds, they had planned on running 35 billion a month, but if prepayment speeds slow down, they might not get there because they're planning on them based on a prepayment speed that they expected. As rates go higher, prepayments slow down, they might not get to that $35 billion and it might be less. So they are on schedule. And today, the Fed came out and said, we have no intention of selling mortgages. or no plans at this point of selling mortgages. And so mortgages outperformed treasuries by like a half a point today. Because people were very nervous that they would make up if their prepayments were slowing. So they only ran off, say, $25 billion in a month. They might sell $10 billion to get back to that $35 billion. And that's not happening.
0: I see. But I think your broader point is you can't calibrate this exactly because there are assumptions baked into the process of how you accord to a runoff schedule.
1: Yes. And each product has its own little uniqueness in terms of what they're doing. But based on their initial intentions, they are following them.
0: All right. Well, let me just ask you as well, you know, in, in sort of taking in some of the commentary post the Fed meeting today. I have heard a couple of people out there saying that in order for the Fed to genuinely arrest inflation, it will have to push rates into real territory. And I'm just wondering if I connect those sentiments with things that I've heard you say, is that why you foresee a hard landing? Because in order to get into real territory, rates are going to have to go a lot higher than four and a half percent.
1: Possibly. And it's possibly that they have to go higher or they stay at that level as inflation starts to come down and growth is actually negative. So if the more we grow, the more they're going to have to tighten. There's no way out. We have inflation. It's present. If growth comes back, inflation doesn't go down because growth came back. You already have supply chain issues that will last for quite a long time as for not efficiency reasons, or not technological reasons, but for security reasons. And we actually bring industries back home. And as supply chains continue to be disrupted for years now, it won't, this isn't going to go away quickly. You are going to have issues with a lack of labor, with the unwind of globalization. So we have an extremely tight labor market. We have issues with supply chains that will continue into the future. We have wage inflation that's already taken root. And so it's very hard to imagine an American worker saying, I'm willing to take a 2% increase in wages because there's a recession in China. And whereas what they are almost certain to say is, I can walk across the street and get a 12% wage gain. And so as that is in process, In my mind, without unemployment going higher, you're going to have a very hard time getting rid of inflation. And because the unemployment is so tight right now, for the Fed to force that to happen, it's going to be so difficult to finesse it that I think a hard landing is almost certain.
0: So bottom line, you believe the Fed meant it when they said, we're not necessarily going to just cut rates again and pivot like all risk asset Investors have been conditioned to expect as has been done in the past.
1: Completely. And so that conditioning is in the back of everyone's head. It's what they know, it's what they've learned, it's what they've lived for decades, maybe their entire life. So, to give you an example, people, you hear this a lot. The speed of tightening is so fast that it's going to cause something to break. We're going to have a collapse. We're going to have a massive recession. Now, I think part of that argument comes out of the emotion of the conditioning that people have come to know. There have been three tightening cycles of significance since 1994. In those three tightening cycles, they averaged tightening 12.7 basis points per month. That was with a lot of telegraphing because they don't want to break the economy when they're tightening. When they're easing, they want to surprise the economy because they're trying to get as much bang for their buck for their move as they can. We've also had three big easing cycles since 1989. In those cycles, we averaged easing of 33 basis points a month. So now, if we go to where we're intended to go now by the end of the year, we're going to average Almost 50 basis points a month in this tightening cycle, or four times greater than other tightening cycles. So we are moving at an incredible pace of tightening. And that's where the concern is. You'll start to hear right away, people will say, the lagged effects of tightening, we've gone too far. We've done too much.
0: Or too quickly, I should say, right? Like, isn't part of the argument, don't raise so quickly, let these increases work their way through the economy before you just keep on keeping your foot down on the gas?
1: That's an incomplete statement to talk about the lagged effects of monetary policy because there are still lagged effects of stimulus. They were easing in March. Six months ago, they were still doing QE. Lagged effects are often considered to be between like three to 18 months. We talked about pumping out trillions of dollars of stimulus in two years, zero rates, trillions of QE. And now nobody is bringing up the fact that that has lagged effects of stimulus.
0: I hear you. But, and let me just say as an aside, as a bond guy for all these years where you had this fed put, that was just sort of lingering over your market and made it challenging. Aren't you just kind of excited about the position that you're now in? finally, we have real action in the bond market again, right?
1: If it follows through, absolutely. And I would say that throughout my life, the bond market, but not throughout my life, but not through throughout the last number of years. The bond market, maybe 10 years. But throughout my life, the bond market was a two-way trade market. The stock market was a one way trade market. And by that, I mean stocks, as America grows, stocks do better. Every financial advisor will tell you, buy the dip. You know, Warren Buffett comes out and says, buy the dip. There's not a bond trader who's ever once been celebrated to be short. (laughs) Right. And so to have a two way market, a market that isn't manipulated or controlled by government actions where it's really micromanaged, that's a much more positive future for bond traders because there's opportunity. Now, you could be equally as right or wrong as any bond trader, stock trader, FX trader ever has been, but you have two-way opportunity now. Whereas, in fact, I would argue, during the conundrum times, Greenspan termed the 05-type era as conundrum. They were tightening. The 10-year note wouldn't go up in yield. Inflation was higher. The 10-year note wouldn't go up in yield. And this was when the world's central banks were just buying treasuries as part of their war chest to be able to defend their currencies. And it was a very difficult time to trade because the market prices didn't make sense compared to what was occurring in the economy for bonds. It is possible that right now we are at the reverse conundrum period point of time. And that reverse conundrum is because central banks are now trying to reduce their treasury assets around the world. And this is in part because of what's going on geopolitically and people are trying to develop alternative reserve currencies. It's in part because of the United States now using the SWIFT payment system a couple of times and other central banks to penalize nations, and nations look around and say, man, what if they get mad at us? And so it's not true for everyone, but that's one thing. It creates more supply, tradable supply in the market. Two, QT. It's not selling. It's the absence of buying. And that absence of buying means every month there needs to be someone who the Fed would have gone in and bought $90 billion worth of treasuries and mortgages every month, and now they're not. Three stocks are down this year. One of the main reasons why borrowing the deficit was good this year was because of the taxes that were generated from stock gains and asset gains in the last year or two. That was a surprise to the treasury as those tax revenues came in. Well, next year with stocks down, you're going to have people harvesting stock losses so they don't have to pay taxes on anything. It's going to flip. The next supply issue is from Europe. European debt is growing because you have subsidies, government subsidies, that they deem to be critical for their citizens. But they have government subsidies underway, and they're large, in order to try to minimize the burden of high energy prices. In order to do that, the bond market issued tons of bonds and tried to raise enough money to do that. Lastly, if the Bank of Japan ever gives up yield curve control, the entire world right now, the long end of bond markets has a pinning in it because of yield curve control in Japan. Japan won't let the 10 year note go over 25 basis points. As a result, you can buy in one market – and convert it into the other market. And so when the one market stays pinned at 25 basis points, that provides a bid around the world for the long end. If they give up on that, the long end in every bond market is going to like snap within a day. Now, they're not going to give up on it. They'll relax it. They'll alter it. They'll ease it somehow. So it's not going to be something dramatic just on that. But It is one of the points. I just named five points. All of them are greater supply that the market has to take on. And it's not, except for the yield curve control, all of this supply isn't like bid it today, boom, reprice it. It's persistent. It's the lack of the absence of buying that will be persistent. So if we get, the reason why I called it the reverse conundrum, if we get recession-like data, that historically would say, hey, we're supposed to buy bonds here. You have these supply factors working against bonds rallying. You also have a Fed who's told you they're not going to respond.
0: On that note, I want to um, end by asking you one last question. I think I've asked this to you in the past in a slightly different way, but I'm going to ask it again. Luke Rahman, somebody who I follow and I believe you're aware of who he is as well, has said that Powell can be another Arthur Burns or he can be another Benjamin Strong, who was a uh, New York Fed chair or Fed chair in, in the 1930s. But U.S. debt and deficit levels preclude him from being another Paul Volcker. What do you say to those who say, well, the U.S. government needs to be able to refinance its debt at a certain rate and therefore, one way or another, the Fed is going to see to it that rates don't get too high.
1: The 10-year CBO forecast assumes the ten-year note rate to be above three percent, I think for the first five years and around three and three quarters percent for the next five. In other words, the forecast for 10 years of what works in their mind includes levels that are approximately where we are right now. Twos tens are 51 basis points inverted. Back during the super tightening in the early 80s, twos tens got to be something like negative 200 basis points. So we could have a lot of curve inversion. And the reason why that is not a moment that suddenly the US goes bankrupt, can't fund itself type of concept is because how long it stays elevated. If I told you today that. 3.5% across the curve, 4% across the curve, is tolerable for 10 years. But we might go to 6%. I'm not saying we are, but just say, we might go to 6%. How long could we stay there before it was a problem? We could certainly stay there for a year. We could certainly stay there for two years. Can we stay there for five? Mm, now it's getting hard. So the curve will invert. A lot of the borrowing, which is long-end, won't be impacted. For the consumer in America, and this is one of the arguments for why housing is staying where it is, they have 2.5% mortgages. They just won't sell. They're fine. A lot of them, not everybody. So you have a lot of the debt termed out. You have the short end, the curve will invert, the short end can go higher. It's how long will it stay there? And that is in part why it's critical for the Fed to not slow walk this. They need to get this inflation under control rapidly, because then they can bring rates back down to 3%, which is what we've already forecast to be something that's completely normal or tolerable.
0: So bring the pain as fast as you can, control inflation expectations, and then in theory, we could hopefully have a normal curve again, and whatever normal economic conditions are, hopefully get them again.
1: Yeah. And if we're lucky, and we might be because there's a lot of still stimulus that's in the system that is playing itself out. If we're lucky, while we do go to a recession, it's not extreme. While we do have assets decline, it's not extreme. It certainly doesn't mean that there won't be pockets of pain. There most certainly will be. But as I've said in the past, the future is really two options. We can either have a recession or we can have a recession with inflation. There is no doubt which side you want to be on. So if we have a recession while they are able to tame inflation, okay, it's not going to be a fun period. It's not going to be an enjoyable period, but it permits a brighter future. A recession with inflation is exceptionally difficult to stop and the future is really challenged at that point
0: for a bond guy i'm going to take that as a sunny optimistic (laughs) assessment Lundy, as always a lot of green marbles thank you so much thanks nice to talk to you
2: this podcast should not be reproduced copied distributed or published in whole or in part this podcast is presented for informational purposes only The views expressed herein are subject to change without notice. The information in this podcast is based on data regarding current market conditions from sources believed to be reliable. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, legal, tax, or other advice, and should not be viewed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security or adopt any investment strategy. You should consult your own advisors regarding business, legal, tax, or other matters concerning investments. Please review related show notes for this podcast and visit www.gweiss.com to review related disclosures and learn more about Weiss.